Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome back, and today we have a gentleman from Victoria, British Columbia, a beautiful community, and his name is Paul Latour, and he's with an organization that he actually started called Hero Work. Good day, Paul. Hey, good morning, uh, Peter. It's glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So let's start with your academic background. Tell me how you started after high school, what you did. Well, I, uh, you know, I come from a ar- artist and and uh, background, artist and uh, writing background. That's what I went to school. I went to York University uh, for visual arts, um, and uh, spent uh, some years uh, owning a small business, doing artwork. I worked in the hospitality industry as well, and uh, it's strange how life takes you on different uh, different turns because. Um, the skill sets that I just built through my life experience actually helped me to uh, create the beginnings of what is now called hero work um, uh, in a very um, unexpected or unanticipated uh, manner. Uh, so I, I guess, Peter, I, c- I could tell you about how hero work started and where my background came in to enable me to move forward on that. Would you like me to tell you that story? No, let's, let's get back to your uh, work okay. experience again. Okay. It's it's kind of very diverse, to put it mildly, but obviously <laughs> uh, uh, helped you learn things by starting your own business and uh, and then getting into hospitality. Well, I you know I, I um, always been an avid learner, and I've been able to learn things fairly quickly and with a lot of courage, and that's really one of the core skill sets that that brought me to where I needed to uh, needed to get to. Um, I spent uh, years writing, um, and that uh, fictional work, non-fictional work, uh, helped to publish a couple of uh, a couple of books, and that helped to craft my language skills, craft my story skills, keep large interconnected structures clear in my brain, and sequence things out in in a clear manner. Um, so that was those were core uh, skill sets. The visual arts helped me to later in life um, be able to build websites, create uh, marketing materials, and 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 that type of thing. Um, then the hospitality industry um, helped me to be able to uh, uh, handle complex multitasking situations with a level of grace and be able to connect with people um, fairly quickly because that's what I did a lot of um, within uh, within that industry. And so when the when hero work started and it was really about a friend who needed some help, um, suddenly these these skill sets of being able to multitask under pressure with a level of grace came to bear, the ability to tell a story came to bear, the ability to keep large interconnected structures clear to bear, and to be able to have some visual um, expertise came to bear. And those were sort of the minimum skill sets that enabled me to uh, to start off um, the concept of hero work. So the name is extremely interesting. I'm sure that maybe wasn't the first name. Can you tell us the background that led to the current name? 
Yeah, so the um, the name, uh, it did have several iterations, um, you know, uh, Hero Work being a, a charity that renovates other charities through a, what is kind of like a modern-day barn raising where everybody, so hundreds of people and the dozens of, commu- of uh, businesses come together. But what it started off as was actually something very different. Uh, it was called Extreme Garden Makeover Local Edition uh, because I started Hero Work on a whim. I had a friend with MS who needed some help and I thought I could bring 20 friends together and, and have a pizza party to, um, to help my friend. And it was only really meant to be a, a one-off. Uh, you know, I, uh, she was an amazing lady who needed some help. She was uh, somebody who um, uh, really, you know, was courageous within her disease, and, but had always been a master gardener her whole life and uh, would ask friends like me to come and make some semblance of her backyard, which was completely inaccessible to her. And I thought, I bet you I could get these friends together and, and, and have a pizza party and, and ended up, uh, we want, I decided let's do a mini extreme makeover. We had ended up having 27 companies, 65 volunteers, 10 rotating musical acts, 60, uh, and did a $25,000 renovation in a single day with $380. And so that was kind of the genesis. And, uh, it was from there that I, that I thought, wow, if we made this kind of impact, maybe I could make more impacts out there. So the second iteration of it was a test project, still as a private citizen, and did uh, a project for uh, refugee housing. And at that point, the, um, I switched it to Hero Search. Um, so I thought, you know, these organizations that we were doing them for decided to focus in on charities being community hubs. And I thought, well, these people are real heroes in our community. We want to search them out and, and do these projects um, for them. And uh, so that, that was the second iteration of the brand. But then um, as I took more time to learn, and the third project was a proof of concept project for a local food bank here. And uh, it was really not only about the, the charity that we, were, that we were doing a renovation for, but it was also about all the community, all the volunteers, all of the sponsors, all of the businesses, all of this whole community coming together and we thought, well, hero work became more of a verb as opposed to, uh, as opposed to hero works, which would be a noun, which is really about the outcome. This is about the process of just regular everyday people stepping up to, uh, to make a difference, stepping up to, to uh, put their skill sets into action, to have concrete uh, change within their community. And so that's sort of the, the, the narrative evolution of, um, of, uh, of hero work. So how does it work? You you can't do this for everybody. Did you select a, a target market to work with? And how does one apply for it? Yeah, well, the target market, uh, when I looked at what, what was the best way for us to make a difference, we, we decided that, that charity infrastructure, when I started to look at charities, they're often in buildings that were run down, buildings that didn't work for them or weren't built for them or designed for them. They had poor workflow. Uh, sometimes they were unsafe. And we thought, well, if we can choose charities that would and renovate that space, that would ripple out impact into our community. So that was sort of our, our target market that, um, that, uh, that, we, that we decided to choose. Um, and then uh, in terms of how we choose them, we have a, 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 a robust adjudication process with multiple criteria, different criteria like 
Um, are they financially healthy because we don't want to mobilize community if they're not going to be around for a long time? They do financially contribute to the renovation, so um, that's important as well. Do they own their building, or do they ha- or do they have a long-term advantageous lease? Again, if we're going to renovate a building, we want that building to be staying as a community asset for a long period of time. Do they have good leadership? Do they have good community buy-in? Um, you know, so there's a few different things. Um, are they are they uh, contemplating a, uh, a wide scope of work, a uh, comprehensive scope of work of the building, because we do large renovations that that look forward into the into the organization's future and say, what's your vision from 10 years from now? Or we let's design a building that moves you towards that building in 10 years, so we can get some innovative um, ideas and some innovative um, uh, new programming out there for them to make a make a bigger difference. So that's a, a little bit about the adjudication um, process of how we choose these um, these different projects and different charities. So a couple of examples. I think you have some examples on your website. Can you briefly uh, describe a couple of examples? Objects. Yeah. Yeah. So we've done twelve major builds here, and I'll, I'll cite a couple of examples. So um uh there's a uh, there's a, a youth detention facility here in victoria that has been unused for i think 10 years and a local organization called our place wanted to create a therapeutic recovery community for men who were suffering addiction trauma homelessness and uh and were coming out of incarceration so there's this cycle um, that uh, that men get caught in and they can't get out of this cycle and, and this uh, they wanted to create a program that was modeled off of San Petriano in in Italy uh, where it's a two-year program where these men could really have this long-term uh, opportunity to transform their lives except there was a jail and so our job in that one was to go and turn it in to a home where we outfitted the cells we kind of turned it into much more of a a sense of home with kitchens and and proper beds and lighting and different and different aesthetics and different colors. So we really transformed um, sections of this jail into a home for homeless men. Uh, that included, in fact, a 40-foot longhouse-style pavilion. And and so uh, that's just this asset that was there doing nothing and to shift it from a jail to something that's transforming um, people's lives uh, who had been in jail in the past was was a concept that really hadn't been hadn't been explored here um and certainly in this area nor do i think in the country another example would be um a local food bank the mustard seed um where we uh, transformed their buildings so that they could shift the way they um they uh they serve their their clients uh, in the past, they had a hamper program, and in this hamper program, people would come and they would be interviewed, and a volunteer in the back would pick and choose some food for them and put it in a box and hand it through a window for them. And, uh, you know, there's not very much dignity in that when you get this box and you look in and you go, oh, my kid won't really want that and won't really want this, and, and, um, and so there's a bit of hidden waste in the food, but there's a lack of, a lack of dignity about going out there. So what they asked us to create was, what we call a dignity market at the beginning, where we created a um, a, uh, a grocery style experience. And so now their warehouse looks like a grocery store um, that is beautiful and people, uh, uh, you know, a mom and, and her little kids can go in and grab a shopping cart and walk in with a shopping buddy who's there to help them with resources and answer, answer questions. 
um, they get to pick their their own food um, uh, uh, for the for the family, and that's just a different way of of delivering a service that's so much better um, for the uh, for the people that they're serving. So innovative, it ended up on on uh, on the CBC National News. So that's just a couple of examples of some of the ways that we try to be innovative and forward looking in the way we produce these renovations. How has the pandemic impacted what you're doing? Oh, uh, significantly. Uh, you know, uh, typically we bring a lot of people together on a job site that can be anywhere from 40 to 120 people on uh, working simultaneously in different colored T-shirts, different colored name tags. Everybody has a role. All these colors mean something. Um, and uh, but the pandemic has has shifted things. So we've taken our spring project, which was meant to be a six-week project, um, and turn it into a six-month project. Uh, so we've simply just reduced the numbers way down. We started off with five people on site, and that's all that could be uh, that could be on, uh, on site uh, with social distancing. And then we went to 10, and I think now we're at 15 people on site, um, but that'll be the max for the year. And that's in three to four different work zones, um, so people are able to keep their social social distancing. Um, our fall project was shifted to um, to next year, and we're just making plans to uh, to have less to shift our model to have less people on site. I, I believe COVID will will um, uh, will go not go away, but um, we we will f come out the other end and uh, be able to um, be able to continue on with our program. Paul, you are a social innovator, and you're running a social enterprise. It's a charity. Mm -hmm. How do you fund this organization? Yeah, well, I spent a lot of time thinking um, thinking about that. It has gone through multiple iterations to get to uh, where we are, so we're constantly evolving. Um, but there's two essential uh, streams of revenue um, at, at this moment. So the partner charity, who are typically larger charities, uh, depending, not always, but often larger charities and who often own their buildings. And so they have some financial resources. They contribute currently 35% of the fair market value of the renovation as untied funds to hero work. Essentially, that pays for like small staff, it pays for the rent, the hydro, um, that type of thing. So kind of all the operational costs are included within within that area. And then it's our job, uh, the staff's job, myself, to mobilize the the community to uh, to come together. And that and that happens in a few different ways. So if uh, like 98% of all labor is donated, um, so this is all volunteer work from engineers, architects, trades, sub-trades, general volunteers, handy people, we'll have, uh, I think last year we had 9,000 um, hours, which didn't include the, um, the professional hours uh, to produce two different, uh, two different builds. So if you can imagine how many plumbers and carpenters and electricians that is, um, you know, it's, it's astounding. And then we work with uh, suppliers uh, to either get things donated or discounted. Um, so from a, from a supply perspective, this is the bricks, the mortars, the, the windows, the drywall, that type of thing. We tend to on average pay about 40 cents on the dollar. So if I need $100,000 worth of materials, I'm typically budgeting out about $40,000 worth of cash costs um, uh, to hero work. When you add all those numbers up, um, the partner charity pays about 35%. Hero Work needs to, in a traditional charity way, fundraise for about 15%. So uh, the 
the cash value that comes back or the ROI that comes back uh, to the community is a two to one ratio, which excludes all the what I'll call soft values around stronger communities, around more resilient charities, around their ability to uh, to be more sustainable in the future. Excluding all of those things, just the renovation itself is typically in about a two percent, two to one return on investment mission. Partnerships. You obviously uh, depend very much on that. How, how do you go about building those partnerships? Uh, we really, you know, try to understand each other. I mean, first you start with the philosophy that by working together, we're stronger together than we are apart. Um, I think uh, uh, progressive charities are looking to see, uh, and, well, and social enterprises in general are looking to uh, work together. It's like, what do you do well? Uh, what do we do well? How can, how can we empower you to do what you do well? And we'll do what we do well. And together, we're going to make our community and our society stronger. So this idea of there's only so much pie to go around, and I've got to protect my pie is not a great way to have a deep and wide impact in our, in our community. So this is a, first the philosophy around the partnership and cooperation is a good thing that, um, that will in the end uh, make, uh, make everybody stronger. Uh, but, uh, you know, we really, for us, we work with two, typically two new charities every single year, um, and we build these relationships over time. So, I mean, I'm scheduling projects out to 2022 at the moment. And so we're working with them well in advance to understand who they are. How do they make decisions? How do they work together? How do they communicate? How can we communicate to them? Let's have some sit-downs and talk about the process of our, of our, of our collaboration. Deeply understand what their mission is, um, how they do that, um, how it's best uh, that we communicate about them in the, in the marketplace. Um, and so working and doing all of these things together enable us to have uh, deep partnerships and deep cooperation that, uh, that empower these projects forward. With the, uh, the work that you've done, I'm sure you've had inquiries from other communities on uh, the successes that you've had. Have you considered franchising or putting together a model that could be used in other communities, both domestically and internationally? Uh, you know, when I, when I first started this, I, I did this project for my friends. And as I said, I, didn't, I wasn't ever thinking about doing another one at that point. And, you know, what really shifted my, my mind, what made me go down this sort of unanticipated road with passion is, is at the end of that project, all these volunteers kept coming up to me and, and looking me in the eye and thanking me for giving them the opportunity to make a difference. And I get wrapped in one of the, in, in these warm hugs from these people. And it really just shifted my heart. And so I've got to go down this road. And in the moment of that shift, I thought to myself, where the thought came to me, well, if I could do this at the time, no experience, no expertise, no money, no connections, then I bet you other people could do it as well. And so since the beginning of Hero Work, we've actually been thinking about replication and what would it mean for this program? What would it look like to have other communities and other groups do what it is that we do? Because in the studies that we've done since then, this, uh, this issue of charity infrastructure being diminished is in every town and city across, uh, across, uh, across the country. 
And so um, we've been uh, developing and slowly building these um, these systems and are now uh, at a place we were, where we're starting to um, to make those outreaches uh, to, uh, to to different communities. And over the next 10 years, we're looking to to replicate um, in multiple cities and multiple in multiple provinces. We've been working with um, with the uh, United Church of Canada uh, and having conversations about about them uh, potentially uh, being able to mobilize some uh, uh, some of these uh, social franchises or charitable social franchises, as I'll call it. Um, we still got some hoops to jump through, but uh, we're really committed to uh, to doing that. Um, right now, we're focused in Canada. Um, we're not really looking at international uh, international markets at all. Um, I do believe in taking things relatively slowly. Uh, our uh, what we do is a fairly complex model. It's not an easy thing to pull off such large renovations in the way that we do them. And so we want to be able to ensure that, that we're always knocking it out of the park, that, that we're really taking the time to, to learn and iterate as, um, as we go. So I'm, I'm, uh, our goal is to, over the next couple of years, um, have a few more communities that are renewing new charity buildings, uh, a couple of them every year. So. Looking forward to that uh, to that journey, 100%. So, what do you and your organization need from the community? Uh, not necessarily in Victoria, but others across Canada who may be able to help you. Well, we're, right now we are um, we're just finishing the development of Pure Work Canada, um, which will be the training arm uh, and let's call the franchisee arm of uh, of, uh, of Pure Work, um, where we're having all the systems, uh, the training modules, the mentorship modules, the community leadership modules, and that sort of stuff that empowers these groups. Um, you know, of course, uh, as with any charity, our revenue, funding, grants, uh, donations, that sort of stuff. Uh, of course, helps just to have the resources to do that scaling out. Um, and then, uh, you know, we're looking for great organizations or social entrepreneurs who um, who have the background necessary to put one of these things together, not only from an executive place, but also from a construction acumen um, place. Um, so, uh, you know, our program really needs amazing people in order to make it happen. So we'll be um, looking for both organizations, resources, and uh, and great people in order to scale this up and, and continue to uh, to transform these different charities, hubs, and, and affect tens of thousands of people almost every year. Have you worked with the government or academic institutions at all? Uh, so I've had some conversations with our local MP, um, uh, and uh, who's who's n not in the Liberal government because we're in, uh, in on the Vancouver Island, um, and uh, he's approached um, uh, the uh, different agencies to to talk about you know why isn't charitable community infrastructure part of even the definition of community infrastructure from, uh, within the government. So right now, uh, the government doesn't consider charity buildings, food banks, um, you know, counseling centers, uh, 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 resource centers, uh, uh, all, any, any type of charity building is not considered community infrastructure at this moment. So I think that one of the key things is, is actually trying to change the definition of what, what is considered community infrastructure. Because if you can imagine, what would our communities be like with, without all of these, all of these services that, 
that keep our society um, together, that to help the, the most vulnerable uh, in our community and, and keep them fed and keep them resilient and, and try to lift them up and, uh, and uh, into, uh, into better lives. So that's one of, the, one of the big things that we're looking to achieve, but haven't been able to have a, a deep conversations with, uh, with people um, within the government just yet, looking to, uh, looking to do that um, as, we, as we move forward in, in the years to come. Good suggestion. Uh, have not um, uh, c connected in a concerted way with them. We have done a study here in the Greater Victoria area that was an inventory of charitable buildings or condition who rents, who owns, who leases, um, who needs a renovation, that type of thing. I mean, I could tell you in the Greater Victoria area that um, that. Uh, you know, uh, over 50% of all the buildings are over 60 years old. 36% of charities either urgently or very urgently need a renovation. So we have some data on that. But I think from a research perspective, it would be great to, uh, to partner with, uh, with an academic um, uh, institution to, uh, to move that forward. But, uh, but, you know, still being a young organization, uh, we haven't uh, crossed that threshold yet. But, uh, but uh, great idea, Peter. Happy to be uh, be uh, given any introductions that you might that you might have to uh, to uh, different institutions in the future. Well, as a former professor at two academic colleges in Toronto, I can see a lot of opportunity for uh, professors to uh, get their students involved as interns in many different ways, whether it's mm -hmm. ideas, whether it's construction. Safety, all kinds of possibilities where academic institutions could make a difference. And mm -hmm. most of them have research arms that will do research for you for free on a project basis. So consider something that uh, may be beneficial for them and for you. Yeah, I'd love to have a conversation afterwards um, about that. I, I know there are also things like you were talking about measures. So how do we measure? It's easy to measure the hard value of renovations. The hard thing to measure is what's the actual community impact of these transformed community hubs, these buildings, um, out years, uh, years into the future, and how does that ripple? Um, uh, I think that's a really interesting question that also might um, interest um, uh, people in the academic area, arena. Outcomes measurement is something that I did with United Way and mm -hmm. really looking at impacts and how you can always look at the quantitative side, but it's the outcomes that can really make mm -hmm. a difference and can attract funders and government support if you uh, measure outcomes. So I really mm -hmm. encourage you to... Uh, and that's where an academic institution may be able to play a role helping. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's something that uh, that uh, that we see a need for um, uh, to track those outcomes over time. Uh, you know, anecdotally, you can see it. You get a lot of, uh, uh, as you said, uh, qualitative um, uh, data, but it's, it's it is measuring those outcomes that uh, that I think um, are obviously there. You can see it. 
Um, but uh, how do you measure that when different projects have very different outcomes too, right? So, um, you know, measuring a food bank and then to a jail, and then what we're doing right now is single moms, uh, transitional homes with uh, for single moms, uh, young moms and, and their little ones. How do you measure the, those impacts across different types of organizations? So um, using the United Way model, or, who also impacts lots of different organizations, or something uh, along those lines, I think uh, would certainly be beneficial to uh, to showing what our model actually does. Paul, you're uh, quite a social innovator, running a social enterprise in a charity situation. So, how do people reach out to your organization and to you? Uh, the best way is through our website, uh, herowork.com. Uh, you know, there's con my contact info is there. There's a generic contact form. Happy to uh, happy to take that uh, uh, and uh, to follow up and have conversations with people. It's it's exciting to reach out to uh, to new stakeholders. You'll see on our projects um, page there's past projects. You'll see all our past projects there and and the different the, the, the lots more information about the different ways that we operate and make decisions and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, herowork.com. Check it out, and I'd uh, love to have a conversation. Okay, well, thank you very much today for allowing us to uh, learn more about you and your organization. And I think people will uh, find it very inspiring and look forward to seeing more in the press about your successes. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks, Peter, and thanks for all you do as well. It's been a pleasure.